0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good Good to see all of you guys. Uh, If this is your first time here, um, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and just grateful uh, you're spending a portion of your uh, Sunday here. We are in this uh, series called First Love where uh, we're taking uh, 12 weeks to go through section by section uh, this letter to the church at Ephesus called Ephesians. And so if you're brand new to your Bible and uh, you don't know a lot about it or you haven't read the book of Ephesians before, um, you don't worry, you'll be able to pop in uh, today. We're not It's not, just because you weren't here the past few weeks doesn't mean you won't understand what's going on, but um, this letter to the church at Ephesus, this guy named Paul wrote it. So your Bible is actually broken up into an Old and New Testament, and the hinge point is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then what ended up happening was the church was established, and uh, and then some of the early church fathers wrote these letters, and these letters would be circulated amongst the churches, and, and basically what they were doing was like, hey, don't forget the story of Jesus and what it actually means for your life. And, uh, and then they would teach them through these letters of what it means to actually live out this life to follow Christ. And so um, we've been in this letter now, I think this is week nine, I believe. And, uh, and so we've been going, again, we're in chapter five now, which is a fascinating chapter that's really all about the sacredness of relationships, all right? And so um, last week we talked about sex and uh, this week we're gonna come into what is actually another kind of controversial topic within uh, the church and um, about submission. Um, But we're gonna really get into... the idea of like, what does it mean to have sacred relationships? This is what Paul's actually doing. He spent a lot of the first part of the letter trying to get people to understand like what it means, the story of Christ, what it means for your life. And then he then pivots a little bit. He's like, all right, so practically then, um, let me just tell you what this means and how you reconcile to God and reconcile the people and how it reshapes all of our relationships and that our relationships become incredibly sacred. Uh, You know, it's been a convicting thing to work through this letter because uh, a lot of times when I sit here and, and I jot down notes, like even about the sacredness of relationships, I'm like, man... I don't know if I think that, that all the time. In every single interaction I have with someone, it's a sacred moment, you know? And, and if you did, man, our, our, our perspective would change. Like, think about whatever you do at work. Um, let's just say you have someone, like, come into your office. And what if you were able to pause for a second and be like, this is a sacred moment. You know, it it begins to change. Like every meeting you have, um, every interaction you have, it's like, whoa, this is a sacred moment. Now that person might not be thinking that same way back towards you. And for all you know, they might be a dumpster fire. But like, but like in this moment, it's like sacred for you, right? Like it's a, it's a sacred moment um, that you get to have with that person. And that's what Paul really wants us to start seeing relationally here. And so when you think about the word uh, submission, um, how many guys would think of it as something weak? No? You guys all think it's positive? Wow. Uh, not what I thought. Um, but typically, typically when you hear the word submit, like this is what I think about when I was like, I think I was like nine years old. Um, I was wrestling with my cousin. We were down in Florida and, and I had him in a headlock and I was just screaming, say uncle. Like that was it. I was like, say uncle, say uncle. Right? And, and in that moment, what am I yelling at him to do? submit, right, submit to my power, right, of, like in that moment. And, um, and so this word submit is actually interesting, and we're going to come across that as we uh, read. But I want to, like, highlight some things about this Roman culture that are, are actually, like, really important when it comes to how we think through this word. See, uh, in Rome, in the Greco-Roman culture, with Rome and that huge empire, um, here's what was most important. Power, right? Wealth, and order. All right, these were the three things that were incredibly important within Greco Roman culture power, wealth, and order. All right, and, and everything hinged on, on these three things. And here's how it kind of fleshed itself out within the community um, the emperor was number one, all right, followed by um, other government officials. And this is the order that everything worked. All right, followed by the wealthy, um, followed by men, then women, then a child or a slave. All right, so here's what ended up happening. The entire culture was built off of this, that um, the emperor was number one, all right. And so you, you, didn't, you didn't go against uh, Caesar. You didn't go against the emperor. Like the emperor was number one. Um, and then like, after that, it was just the, just the order. Like the government officials, they would have like a lot more say. And, and this is the order of uh, the community. Like, it was like, kind of like they had cultural codes and they had household codes. And those household codes kind of mirrored the cultural codes. And so um, when it got below the government officials, and it was like, if you're just wealthy. Now, if you were a wealthy woman, you were still below a man. Alright, so but wealthy men were were kind of next, kind of like like pinnacle of, of the order, and then it went into just normal men, um, and then and then women, all right, and then child or slave. So that was like the ranking order. Um, men had so much decision making power um, during that culture; they were they they decided everything culturally. It wasn't that women had no voice, but it was basically no voice. There little pockets of voices where women. Uh, could speak up, but it were often, you know, behind the scenes and everything. Um, men would, when a baby was born, um, men would have this opportunity to hold the baby and they would hold the baby up and it could be a boy or a girl. Now, typically if this happened, if they didn't want another girl in their family, um, they would hold the baby up. So you can picture like Simba, right? It's like they, they would hold the, the baby up and then the, the man would decide whether or not they want to keep the baby. If they didn't want to keep the baby, the, the man would just be like, he would be like, don't want the baby, and it was called infanticide, and they would just put the baby just outside the door of their home on the sidewalk, and the baby could die. And part of the, like, the powerful story of the Christian movement um, was that Christians were going in and stopping all of that. They were just scooping up like babies, and they were like, if someone was like, no, we don't want this baby, then they would, like, Christians would come in, we'll take the baby. And so they, they stopped on this whole thing. So, so men had all this power. Now, so everything was built around men. Everything was built around power. Everything was built around authority and wealth and order, okay? This is what Paul is writing into. It's important for us to understand that because you're going to see if you pull some of these verses just out of its context, it ruins relationships. And what Paul is trying to do is like, no, no, I want you guys to, to understand this. Like, In this context and in this structure that we're in, we've got a, last week we talked about, when we're talking about sex, we're saying, hey, the first thing that Paul wants us to do is walk in the way of Christ. And when we imitate Christ, then then how we think about our sex and sexuality, it's like, man, we're imitating Christ within it. Well, the same thing holds true as he kind of continues on in this letter. We can't forget what he's already talked about up to this point and what it means to have sacred relationships. And so, um, again, men, so there's a structure. So men had like all this power. So even for women, I just want to get you guys a little bit more perspective. For a man, they usually got married around 30, okay? For a woman, it was about 14, all right, so everything's like disjointed, like culturally here, right? And then um, even when we get into this passage that we're going to get into today, even in the early translations and everything, women weren't invited into translating the Bible. Women weren't invited into creating commentaries around Scripture. They just weren't invited. They weren't invited to the party. All right, and so you can imagine then that what ends up happening is if it's just a male point of view, some things can get distorted, Right? Um, now, it doesn't mean that women are smarter than men, right? It's just like, no, like if it's just men making a decision in a vacuum, guess what? They're gonna make kind of male oriented decisions, right? So here's what I know just from being married um, I need Lacey's perspective. Right? Yeah. It might be the first time she yelled amen. <laughs> but, um, but, like, I need Lacey's perspective. Um, I am not. Uh, I'm not the person that I could be without her perspective, right? And, and, and it goes both ways. And so even when we begin to look through passages like we're going to look through today, it's important to understand how um, vital it is to have women's perspective even around some of these passages when they used to not be invited into actually saying anything about it. So um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're starting in verse 15, and, and I'm going to do it a little different today. I'm just going to break up um, section by section so um, we can see all of this together. So Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity. And here's what's interesting, because the days are evil. How many of you guys woke up today and said, this is an evil day? <laughs> right? Like, but this is what Paul's saying. He's like, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's saying that if you understand that the days are evil, that there's something that like happens in us that we can begin to see like, all right, if I understand that this day is evil, then um, I can do something to interact with this day that will allow me to understand what God's will is. And so he's laying something out. It's that's, that's really significant. It's significant relationally, and you'll see how in a second. But he's going through, he's like, hey, you've got to understand this part. And here's what he wants us to see, that every day of our lives needs to be redeemed. That every single day of our lives needs to be redeemed. So think about this. And and this is what um, I believe he's pointing to. He's like, when you wake up in the morning, here's what we know about Monday morning. Tomorrow, when you wake up, that day is evil. And it feels weird to say that. It really does. But here's all Paul is saying, that the devil, the world, and the flesh are coming after you tomorrow. And you're going to be tempted, it's going to try and corrupt you, and things are going to be thrown at you. And that day, tomorrow needs to be redeemed. And then that we, as followers of Christ, need to understand what does it mean to follow Christ and walk in the ways of Christ tomorrow? Because when I wake up, then my process is starting and it's like, All right, God, you need to redeem this day because I know things are going to come at me. You need to redeem this day of whatever's going to come, and and I'm going to trust in you, Lord. Why? Because I don't want to be foolish. And here's what he's saying. If you just treat any, any, like, if you just treat Monday as another Monday and don't think of it as a day to be redeemed, you will make foolish decisions. And so he's trying to say, hey, I want you to be sensitive to the realities of what you're going through. So tomorrow when you wake up, it's, God, I want to know your will. I want to be wise in my, in, in my, my day today. We redeem this day? And then when you close out the day, it's like, God, if there's any way that I missed you today, I want to confess and repent of that. So then Tuesday when I wake up, guess what? Guess what Tuesday is? It's evil. And then we want to redeem it. And, and, it's, and, it, and I know, and listen, I, even writing that down, I do, I do not think that way. I did not wake up this week before I wrote that down being like, it's Thursday, it's evil. Like, I, I didn't. But, like, processing this, I'm like, whoa, this, this actually does make a lot of sense. That if my process in the morning is being like, all right, God, you need to redeem this day because I know what can come at me, then it begins to make a lot more sense that this day needs to be redeemed. And every day needs to be redeemed. Because our heart is like, I want God to redeem this, and so that makes me make wise decisions to follow after God. And so then when we start going through our normal every single day and we're in our meetings and we're in like relationally with people, we're seeing what? This is a moment for the redemption of God. And so we make wise choices and we start seeing the whole, we start seeing our whole day like very, very differently. It's like, ah, this needs to be redeemed. Now here's what happens. Like we can kind of get into this mode and we can say, oh yeah, I'm there Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, but Friday I want to relax. It's the weekend, right? It's like Friday and Saturday and then Sunday I'll just repent, right? Like it's like, no, that's not how this works. It's like every day we've got to do the same thing. Otherwise we'll be foolish. And so Paul's saying relationally then to have sacred relationships, we wake up and we do this. We're like, this is a day to be redeemed. This is a day to be redeemed. And then every single interaction we begin to have with someone is a sacred moment. He continues on and he says this in uh, verse, oops, verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine or anything, right? Some people have been like, oh, so a liquor sign? No. Um, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And so Paul here is doing something really interesting. He's like, don't do anything to cloud your vision. Don't fill yourself up with things, a substance, or an activity or anything that will cloud your vision. Because he just got done telling us that every day needs to be redeemed. He just got done saying that like, hey, today needs to be, needs to be redeemed, and needs need to be filled with the right things in order for it to be redeemed. So don't try and do something that would neglect your ability to, to like enter in and make wise decisions to discover God's will. So don't, don't get drunk. Don't smoke weed. Don't pop some gummies. Don't do something that will cloud your vision. He's like, don't do it. Now you might be saying, like, I can't have a glass of wine. No, I'm not saying, like, I get the nuanced conversation to having a drink or whatever, right? Like I get all that. Like I sometimes enjoy an old-fashioned. Okay? Like, that's okay. Like I'm not saying you can't drink. But here's what Paul is saying. Don't do anything don't do anything that will cloud your vision because what will happen is, is everything will start to get distorted and you'll start making foolish decisions and you will no longer be wise but unwise and your days will not be redeemed. And so he's like, be careful what you are filling yourself up with. Be careful. For some people, and this is what this means, he's like, Some of you, you may be able to have a glass of wine and be okay. Some of you may not. You you have to be careful. Be careful what you're filling yourself up with. One way to think about this is that using something as a way to escape leads to foolishness, not connection to the will of God. You see, what often happens is people use a substance. um, And honestly, it could... It doesn't have to be just like a drug or alcohol. It, it, it can be exercise. It can be work. Like people can use something as a way to escape. And you're using it as a way to escape what's before you. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, I just, if I could just do this, I will actually fully relax. Or if I could just do this, I will not have to deal with that. If I could just do it, and it does not lead you to the heart of God. It actually leads you to disconnect from him. The kind of idea to escape in this way um, moves us away from the things of God, and we begin to fill ourselves with the wrong things. And so Paul says what you've got to do is you got to fill, be filled with the Spirit of God. You've you got to be filled with the Spirit. And if we're believers and we want to follow, we want to imitate Christ, it's like we want to be filled with, with, with the Spirit because guess who else was filled with the Spirit? Jesus. So we want to be filled with the Spirit. And so here's what Paul says it is to be filled with the Spirit. He, this is the evidence. He says that you will sing, you will create, you will be joyful, and you'll be thankful. You'll sing, you'll create, you'll be joyful, and you'll be thankful. Now, some of those things you feel like, hold on a second, Paul. Like, I was just trying to sing with the women up on stage. That was not pretty. I did not harmonize. I didn't. No matter how much I did this, it didn't work. Right? Like, I just... It, it, that's not a thing. Here's what he is pointing to. That there's um, something that um, happens in us. How many of you guys have like a favorite song when it comes on in your car you go nuts? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like all of a sudden you're like da- 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 da, like on the on steering wheel and like the symbol is, is always the rear of a mirror, you're like, right? like you know, like that's what you do. But there's something that like rises up inside of you, right? And it feels like, oh, I need to sing. And so what Paul says is that when we're filled with the Spirit, that there's something else that like comes up inside of us. And this we what he's talking about, this joy, that there, that there's something that rises up that we're like, no, 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 I actually want to sing. I want to sing. And even in these moments where we sing in church, right, it's something like that happens. It's like, oh, wait, there's something inside of me when I say this and, and I want to sing. And I get it, some of us are more de- demonstrative than others and all that stuff, but I'm like, there's something inside of us that, that wants to engage. Well, what is that? That's the spirit of God and that there's something that ah, I, I want to sing. You know, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago that when we sing, what are we doing? We're proclaiming who God is. We're making a statement to one another, right? And then we're saying something to the heavenly realms. It's saying, you are not this, you're not this goddess. And so it's powerful when we do this, when we sing. And there's something that rises up inside of us. This ability to create, that there's something that we, we just want to be active, we want to engage and be more creative in, in our relationships, creative in how we engage. That's what he's saying, like, we're singing psalms to one another, right? And hymns to one another. And he's like, no, there's something in our relationship that's happening. we're creating something relationally when we're filled with the Spirit. There's this joy that's inside of us. And then the thankfulness piece is something that's so pivotal. I pointed that out to you guys last week that it's fascinating that what Paul will use thankfulness for um, on three separate occasions in his letters. He he uses thankfulness as the way to avoid sexual immorality. And even here he says says that thankfulness, thankfulness is evidence that you're filled with the Spirit. And so there's something that rises up in our thankfulness. And, And Paul's like, this is what you need to be filled with not some substance, not something that you want to escape with, not something that's like, oh, that makes me relax. Like, no, no, no. He says, be filled with the Spirit, and you'll see you need that way more than anything else. That being filled with the Spirit is far greater than anything else. It's like, that's what, that's what would kind of create wisdom in us. It creates a connection to God in such a powerful way. And then he moves on to this next section. Which is the one that I want you to see. That if, you're, if you have a Bible open right now. Or if you're even on your phone. This next section is interesting. Because you'll see that they usually like split it up. And they'll say something like the Christian household. Or relationships. Or wives and husbands. All right. And so it, they make it seem like. Translators have made it seem like. That Paul is like pivoted in some kind of way. Um, but he actually hasn't. This, this is all like together in one kind of statement. And, um, and so he continues on at this moment. And now he does move. He's still talking about being filled with the Spirit. He's still kind of connected to even in the beginning of the chapter, like what it means to walk in the way of Christ. And it starts this. It says, verse 21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for who? Say it. It's better. Um, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to who? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. That explains it, so let's pray. (laughs) So, um, let me just say this about, you can see when you read through a passage like this, how someone could manipulate it. You can see when a woman isn't invited into translating scripture, how this could get used to hurt women. You could see why um, someone could pluck out verse, 20, uh, verse 22 without going into verse 21 Without going into verses 18 you know, through uh, 20 before that, or even verse 2 in about walking the way of Christ, right? You could see how if you just pluck that out, people can get hurt. You could see why things could get manipulated. You could see why, um, like, in, again, in particular, women would get hurt. And so it's important, then, even with passages like this, to be like, all right, context is so key. Um, I'm not going to talk about the head of the wife thing. I'm gonna, you have to come back next week for that. That's a teaser. Um, but I do want to talk about like, this, this reality of submission. So even in the original language, um, verses 18 through 24, they're all one sentence. They're not split apart. All right, so even when you, you group them in, it's like it, it changes everything the way we begin to read it. Now, Paul is speaking into a structure of household codes and everything. And that's why I told you in the beginning why, why it's important to understand some context here about how things were laid out with, like, the emperor and the, and the government officials and the wealthy and the men to the women to the child to the slave. Like, it's important to understand that that was the structure. So, so Paul is, like, speaking into all of this. And he's like, hey, listen, if you're filled with the Spirit, then you want to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The people who don't want to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, guess what they're not filled with? The Spirit. And that's an important, like, starting point for this. And he's like, all right, so let's talk about submission and what that means. And so what Paul actually does here is he adds a fifth thing. He's like, how do we know we are filled with the Spirit? Yep, we're going to sing, we're going to create, there's going to be joyfulness, there's going to be thankfulness, and guess what else you're going to do? You're going to learn how to submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ, you're going to learn how to submit to one another. And so, he's talking about the sacredness of relationships. So even when, um, this is why it's just such a big deal what he's talking about. But like, So even if you think about it this way, um, every interaction that I have with someone tomorrow, if I'm filled with the Spirit in that interaction, then guess what I'm willing to do for the other person? Submit. Submit. And guess what that person, if they're they're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what they want to do? Submit. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's a starting point. And that's where we begin to see, like, well, hold on a second, then, then, man, our relationships start looking very different. And the sacredness of interactions um, begin to look very different. Even, get this, when he adds submission to being filled with the Spirit, isn't it interesting then that even the do not get drunk part feels different. Here's why. Here's what you begin to realize, that when people get drunk, they're submitting themselves to that. Whatever that behavior is they escape to, they submit themselves to that. And Paul's like, no, you submit to the Spirit. And so he's like, the language like, begins to shift how we understand certain things, right? So, so, so we begin to start thinking, like, well, hold on. And when someone's like, you can't drink alcohol. You can't do this. And like, but if we fully understand what Paul's actually teaching, of like, no, 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 I don't want to submit myself to something else. I want to be submitted to the Spirit of God. Then it starts changing everything. It's, it's, it's way deeper than just saying, don't do something. And so Paul's trying to get us to understand, again, even relationally, it's like, this means a lot different. So when you start thinking through this, again, we're like, um, here's some really good practical things we can do. It's like, it's good to meditate. It's good to do breathing exercises. It's good to do yoga. It's good to exercise. It's good to go, you know, walks in the woods. It's, um, there are a lot of good things that we can relieve, that can be stress relievers, right? Those are all good things. But if they are not submitted to Christ, then we'll make them about ourselves. Right? So there can be good things, like do yoga. It's cool. Right? Stretch it out. Right? It's good for your body. Like do this. But if you're like, oh, man, this is my stress reliever, and you're not saying like, no, I want to submit everything that I do to Christ. I don't want to try and use something for an escape. It's like, no, I am on everything I do to be submitted to Christ. And it adds these layers into all that we do and everything that we are. And so Paul's like, all right. So then if we're submitting everything, including every relationship we are to Christ, then like it starts looking differently in every single relationship that we have. And here's what Paul is actually pointing to, that to be filled with the Spirit isn't just personal, it is communal. So it begins to shift all of our relationships. And so, to be filled with the Spirit, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's like a thing that happens to us as individuals, but like, man, it manifests itself communally, that this is what it's supposed to begin to look like. So, relationally, all these relationships start looking the same. So, why is what Paul is saying so radical um, when it comes to submission? First thing is that they were in an honor and shame culture, okay? Okay. Um, and honor and shame culture, which just means everything hinged on order, hinged on uh, the household codes that I was talking about. Um, that was the hierarchy of everything was important. Um, class was important, all right? So class distinctions and classism, all that stuff was important. And here's what Paul is saying, like get this. Paul is saying, hey, you who are wealthy, um, you need to look at the poorest of the poor and you need to say to them, I'm willing to submit to you out of reverence for Christ. That... That was not being said then. That was not a thing. And the wealthy would have been like, no, 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 that's not how our culture works. That's not how this order works. If you were to do that, man, this whole thing begins to fall apart. And then he looks at him and he's like, men, men, guess what you, you do? You, you also submit to women. And women, you are submitting to men. It's so like, what we're doing this what? Out of reverence for Christ. And then he kind of steps back again into the marriage, like into marriages. He's like, wives, Submit to your husbands, just as you do to the Lord, like in honor and respect to your husbands, right? And w- what is he saying there? He's like, Well, we're building, you got to build your husbands up, create space for them to be their fullest selves. But he's like, But husbands, like you're also submitting to your wives. And they would be like, Whoa, 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 whoa Paul. That's not what we do. That's not how this works. And again, I'm going to tease a lot of that out um, next week a little bit more. But He's like, no, 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 this is how it works in Christ when you're filled with the Spirit. He flips all the household codes within this. He's like, man, I know you guys think it's this way, but it's not. Like, even the way he goes through um, each grouping of people he speaks with. uh, Did you notice that he speak to the husbands or wives first? Do you remember? Wives. Uh, Normally when people wrote back then, they didn't even speak, they wouldn't even write to the woman. So Paul's like, I'm actually going to speak to the wife first instead of the husband. Look what he does here in this, um, in chapter six. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. No one spoke to children. And Paul's addressing all the kids. And he's like, this is what you do. And then he goes to the parents and he says, later on in verse four, he says to the fathers, I'm sorry, he says, the fathers, do not exasperate your children now, to a father back then, he's like, no, 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 no. See, the kid is like, yes. I'm glad we worked on that timing earlier. That was great. <laughs> to the father, back then, you can tell the father what to do. And Paul's like, Fa- fathers, you know, you, want, you know, you got to raise your kid, like each kid has like an individual. That kid's going to be separate from that kid. Don't exasperate that kid because it worked for that kid doesn't mean it's going to work for this kid. And you got to treat your kid very differently, parent very differently. you got to understand who your kids are. See, back then, parents, they would have been like, no, I'm the father and the kid does what I say. And Paul's like, no, 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 not in Christ we don't. Even he goes into this. and He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now there's a lot to this. The Bible's not condoning slavery as we know it. But he's saying within this structure, he's like, he's, like he's speaking to the slaves and saying this. No one ever spoke to you but I'm telling you, in Christ, I want to speak to you. And he's like, there's some fullness in Christ that you can experience. then he goes down even below that, and he says in verse nine, he says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, saying that. Like, man, you have people who work for you? Then guess what? They should see in you the realities of you being filled in the Spirit. So if you're like any, so, so how we could take this now even, it's like if I'm the boss of people, people should be like, man, they are filled with the spirit of God. Because they know that their master is in heaven. And so they treat me as an employee. Right? So it starts changing all of these household codes. Let me go back to, he says, he turns every relationship into a what can I do to help contest. And then he puts Christ at the core of every single relationship. And so within this structure that's at play, he's like, I'm going to flip all this stuff upside down. I'm not trying to blow up the structure, though it eventually will. He's like, when you live in the way of Christ and walk in the way of Christ, man, it just, it's just so different in the way that we approach everything. So it's really hard then to have, like, to manipulate a passage to put men in authority over women in such a way that hurts women. When you're, when you're concentrating and saying, I want to be filled with the Spirit, so men should be submitting to, to women, why? Because out of reverence for Christ. And so he's shifting all of this language to begin to understand that, no, there's equality here. No, there's value here. And I want to flip all of it. In the end, submission to one another becomes a race to see who will serve, sacrifice, and say, I'm sorry, first. Wouldn't it be beautiful if this was the way our relationships actually interacted with one another? Can you imagine having friendships and who you dated and at work and um, in your marriages that it was just like, no, 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 I want to serve you first. No, 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 I want to sacrifice you first. No, I want, you know what? I messed up. I'm going to say sorry first. I'm not going to wait for you to come to me, right, and beg for my forgiveness. It, it changes everything when we think about submitting to one another. So when we begin to process every relationship that we have, I just want to end with this, and then we're going to take communion here in just a second. So when we begin to, like, take a step back, here's all Paul is saying, that every single relationship we have should reenact the gospel for people around us. So when we're in relationship with people, and we're going to talk a lot about marriage next week and, and, and why, like, Every marriage should reenact the gospel because Paul gets into some detail there. But he's also saying here that like, man, if we're submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ, then relationally, what ends up happening is there's this fruitfulness there. There's this way that we approach all of our relationships because they're sacred moments and that being filled by the spirit, that something comes out, out of us that wouldn't normally be there. And he's just like, man, like, our relationships and the way we interact with one another, it should be so different that people are like, I must need that Jesus thing too. Because the way you love, the way you sacrifice, the way you serve, the way you treat another person that's different than you, I don't see it like that anywhere else. They should see it in you at work. They should see it in your marriage. They should see it in your friendships. So what Paul's saying. He's just like, it, if we don't, then guess what? We're not filled with the right things. He's just making it pretty simple. But it's a challenge, isn't it? So, tomorrow when you wake up, what do we do? Monday's evil. Some of y'all think that anyway. But like, <laughs> Monday's evil. Man, today's evil. God, I want you to redeem this. I want to be filled with your spirit then every interaction you're having, it's like, man, this is a chance for me to reenact the gospel for people. Christ loved me so much, they died for me. He was willing to submit, right? That he was willing to place himself under, to die for me for forgiveness of sin to show me so much grace and so much love and so much sacrifice. So that's how I'm supposed to interact with my husband, with my wife, with my friends, with my coworkers, with people I'm in charge of. That'd be something different. So why don't we bow our heads for a second and then I'm gonna lead us through communion. I want you to just pause and just take it in. If you have your communion elements, go ahead and grab those. And Um, if you need communion, just raise your hand, and someone will walk over to you. Um, You don't have to take communion if you don't want to. It's not—we're not pressuring anyone to. But it's for those that proclaim proclaim a faith in Jesus, and as a way for us to remember the the death of Jesus and his eventual resurrection as well but, and what it means for us. So as you hold these in your hand, you've got the bread and the juice. And uh, what's really cool is you know, when we think about why in the world would we ever want to interact with one another in this way? Why would we ever want to like submit to one another? And why would we want to sacrifice and serve one another? Like the reason is, is Jesus. That's it. So you have this bread in your hand, and let me just pray over this bread. God, this bread um, represents your body being broken for us. You know, to think that you would submit yourself to torture like that, so that we could someday um, understand that in the midst of pain, um, in the midst of heartache, that you don't leave us or forsake us, but that you're in it with us, what an incredible message of what submission looks like. And so um, go ahead and eat the bread. And God, this juice that we hold in our hands represents your blood being poured out on that cross That um, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the establishment of a new hope, a new covenant that allows us to see that it's in you that we find our greatest fulfillment. Go ahead and drink the juice. So God, as we are about to sing this last song here, um, I pray that there won't just be words on the screen that will we'll really take in that, you know what? You are the God who parts the seas so that we can cross through them. You are the God who hovers over the waters and walks on the waves so that we can too in the midst of the storms. You are the God that um, redeems everything. God, I pray as we sing this song that um, I realize that relationally there has been a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in this room. But that God, that you have a different story to tell through that that the end has not been written. God, I pray that we would have hearts to want to serve and sacrifice for one another, hearts to want to submit to one another and be filled with your spirit so we can experience true life in you.